Health is the greatest of human blessings. Hippocrates. Man's time here is finite, but the influence of a man is infinite. The question is what shall we do with the daylight that remains? All right, guys, welcome back. Appreciate you showing up. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about a couple of podcast episodes that I recently listened to with Andrew Huberman, and he interviewed Dr. Kyle Gillette on hormone optimization, and then the other episode was with Dr. Chris Palmer, healing mental illness with nutrition and diet. And so those episodes are several hours long between the two of them, about five hours. So I'm going to just take a couple of bullet points that I found very helpful that might be insightful to you. Uh, And again, constantly working towards ways that we can optimize our lives and improve our health and wellness and happiness and satisfaction in building a life that is ideal to you. So starting with the interview with uh, Dr. Gillette, now they covered a, a broad range of things with with hormones, and they spent a significant amount of time talking about those pubescent years and, I mean, essentially, don't screw it up, right? It reminded me of a few things from Why We Sleep, that uh, children who don't get enough sleep actually enter puberty at an early age. And uh, they discuss other factors in this episode, but it sounds like children who enter puberty earlier end up slightly shorter in the end, uh, post-puberty. And so, you know, maintaining a, a solid, healthy lifestyle overall contributes to hitting puberty at the right time. And then, of course, uh, hormones are going crazy, but there are normal ranges and we want those hormones in the normal ranges in order to optimize growth, health, mental health, physical health, etc. Huberman asked a question specific to resistance training because I know as I as a kid growing up, I heard resistance training too young stunts your growth. Dr. Gillette says the actual weightlifting does not stunt growth. However, he did say that dirty bulking does. And what he means by dirty bulking is adding excess weight. So a lot of times weightlifters will do a bulk where they eat a ton of extra food and lift really hard. And essentially you're trying to overload your body with all the essential uh, nutritional factors that go into building muscle. And then, you know, yeah, you get a bunch of extra fat too, but you can trim the fat later. And, and it's, it's a method some people use. Well, that method for young people stimulates the same process that childhood obesity does and also sends children into puberty earlier. So a bit of detail on that. Basically, fat, adipose tissue, causes your body to release leptin. Leptin tells your body that you're satisfied. We had an episode recently that that did talk about ghrelin and leptin, where ghrelin says I'm hungry and leptin says I'm full. As your body releases leptin and your receptors receive that signal and it says, okay, satisfaction, we don't need to eat any longer. Well, childhood obesity tends to uh, cause leptin resistance and also more adipose tissue causes higher 
production of leptin. The combo basically causes you to feel unsatisfied throughout the day, day in and day out. And so those, of course, are problems in a, in a world filled with uh, empty calories everywhere. So leptin can activate the hypothalamus, which activates the pituitary, which releases gonadotryptin, which is essentially an increased release of testosterone and estrogen earlier than your body would have done so otherwise. So you're, you're triggering this extra production, which triggers puberty. So on to optimizing those hormones throughout your life. Dr. Gillette, you know, he, he he's an expert in this hormone regulation and therapy and things like that. And so he recommends that we get blood work done just kind of late puberty or post-puberty. So let's say 18 years old, and then you get that done every six months. And he made it sound like there may be something that you want to optimize in there and that you'd be working on and checking. And so um, I, I don't know that all family practice physicians would see it that way. Seems to me in my experience as a nurse and a, you know, a patient in, in the clinics that my doctors have not wanted to necessarily pull blood work and optimize some aspect of it. They kind of just want to go like, ah, oh, you're pretty much in normal ranges. Good. Carry on. So, you know, it made me wonder, do we need to find doctors more like Dr. Gillette that have some sort of interest or expertise in this area? Uh, but that you should check that every six months and establish a baseline when you're young. And then, of course, going through those years of early and late 20s when, you know, a lot of things are actually maturing and stabilizing as you enter your 30s. And then, uh, you know, 30s, 40s are kind of a stable period for most people. And you start this slow decline in certain things like testosterone or, um, you know, muscle mass, things like that, bone density they can slowly, slowly decline over your life. And so uh, establishing those baselines and tracking that over time could help you optimize your specific hormone regulation. Now, the two primary factors in regulating your hormones should not come as a surprise. They are, guess what? Diet and exercise. <laughs> Getting enough varied nutrients is key to having enough growth hormone, testosterone, estrogen, and more. He says, strict vegan or carnivore diets are a horrible idea for someone that's going through those maturing years, uh, puberty through even late 20s, he says, is a terrible idea because there's all these different nutrients that contribute to hormones being produced or being received uh, by different parts of the body. And if you are deficient in one of those, you deregulate that system and it could have long-term effects that last the rest of your life. He did suggest that puberty is somewhat of an opportunity to reset that metabolic state that you live the rest of your life in. So children that are maybe experiencing childhood obesity could tune in a little bit with their doctor and maximize their nutrition and exercise routines and things like that to sort of reestablish some sort of a new baseline that is not based around the the obesity. So I thought that was really cool. 
So what is a good exercise routine? I, th I found this very interesting because a lot of times, you know, uh, people have a, a specific athletic goal and that's maybe a different story than somebody that's just trying to be healthy and well-balanced. So Dr. Gillette says that three to four days of like really vigorous exercise and then three to four days of moderate or light exercise seems to be the most beneficial. It allows for recovery, but even those light exercises uh, contribute to strength in things like your tendons and bones. And so that was his recommendation. They talked about extended vigorous exercises beyond an hour uh, with frequency actually have some negative effects, maybe too much increased cortisol. Those uh, inflammatory responses of the body uh, may be too high. And going up to an hour of vigorous exercise three to four times a week was, was pretty optimal. I found this very interesting that Dr. Huberman talked about. He says that when he exercises before 9 a.m., he has more energy throughout the day and doesn't experience a, a afternoon crash. Whereas if he exercises a little later, like late morning, he'll have an afternoon crash. His assumption is that it's probably associated with some sort of biological circadian rhythm. But it's an experiment that, you know, you may want to test. Do you have extended energy as a result of your exercise? Another thing about that is a lot of times when people do vigorous, heavy weightlifting workouts to exhaustion, uh, it, it causes the opposite effect. You feel actually exhausted and and you won't have energy throughout the day versus exercising that hour long or or something where you're ending the exercise, still having some gas in the tank boosts your energy throughout the day. Another interesting point that Huberman pointed out, because he does just test his own uh, blood work with frequency. He says if he doesn't get at least one 45-minute jog in, meaning like a very long cardio exercise in once a week, that he actually sees a negative trend in his blood work. I'm assuming, he didn't, he didn't say specific hormones, but I'm, I'm assuming it's things like testosterone decreasing a little bit um, when he does not get that 45-minute jog in once a week. When I was young, I, I tried taking some creatine and I felt zero effect. And I don't know for sure if I'm a non-responder, but they discussed some benefits of creatine, taking creatine every day. It does have some mood enhancements that helps your muscles pull, you know, water and nutrients into the muscles, uh, helping your muscles grow a bit. And uh, some people are non-responders to creatine. So a couple of substitutes for that were betaine and L-carnitine, which improves the density of your receptors on the cells. Now, you may have heard that fasting increases growth hormone. And it turns out that it does actually increase growth hormone. The problem is, at the same time, your fasting decreases your body's ability to actually receive and utilize that growth hormone. So it sounds like there's no positive effect, or at least very, very minimal positive effect from fasting for the purpose of increased growth hormone. However, stopping your eating, so fasting for two hours before going to bed, does have 
a slight increased effect in the production of growth hormone during sleep. So um, you can you can stop fasting for the point of growth hormone during the day. Just make sure you stop eating early enough before bed. Now, there are some other factors with fasting that we're going to get into with Dr. Palmer because fasting does all kinds of other things to your body, specifically with mitochondria and the ketone state that have many, many benefits. So now we're going to transition to Dr. Huberman's discussion with Dr. Chris Palmer, who is a psychologist, but has sort of stumbled into this interesting area of science and and research where they're using nutrition to cure mental illness. And that can be a variety of different things, right? They discuss things from epilepsy to schizophrenia to Alzheimer's and depression and other, other areas of mental health. So, To start this off, uh, Dr. Palmer tells a bit about his own story. And as a young child, he he struggled with depression and suicidal thoughts. And uh, his mother had similar problems. Both of them had 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 all kinds of medications and and been in psychotherapy and uh, even institutionalized. And uh, nothing was working. (laughs) Dr. Palmer eventually goes to med school and becomes a psychologist. And through school, he's, his doctor is essentially saying, well, it, it seems to be genetic. You know, you, you, your best option is medications. But he's learning about these medications and thinking, man, I, I do not want to do this. So what other options do we have? He, he's diagnosed with what they call a metabolic state, which is a, a little bit of an all-encompassing word or diagnosis for saying we don't really know what's going on. It seems like you're accumulating some belly fat. You have depression. There's a, a variety of problems going on, some increased inflammation, a, meta, a metabolic disease. Well, in a last-ditch attempt to see if he can find some uh, resolution to this problem, he had heard that the ketogenic diet was actually quite helpful. And so he underground tries this ketogenic diet, and within a very short period of time, he feels all kinds of relief. His blood work normalizes. His mood is better. He's sleeping better. He has energy, all kinds of positive effects from this diet. And so that sent him down an interesting road. He he sort of suggested his diet to others or his cousin and his sister were were wondering how he was losing so much weight and uh, not interested in eating the apple pie at Thanksgiving and things. And and he just had no craving for it because he was on this diet. And, and so they tried it and felt many of the same effects. And so other people he knew or even patients that were looking for something of the sort he had he had tried it on them as well and had several people have have great success and so then he he dug into the literature on diet with epilepsy so this is where things start to get really interesting so in the literature he finds that the ketogenic diet was actually developed in 1921 by a physician to treat epilepsy so epilepsy is you know chronic seizures essentially every culture had observed fasting could stop seizures but it's not a very effective treatment because you can only fast so much before you have really uh bad problems including death right and so a physician tried to sort of mimic the fasting state with a specific diet 
And that's what became the ketogenic diet. And it actually worked for quite a long time for many patients. But then in the 1950s, as pharmaceuticals start making a lot of progress and and producing a variety of medications that could help with a variety of these issues, the diet sort of faded away, never really became super popular. But in the 1970s, the diet was resurrected at John Hopkins University, and their trials on patients for epilepsy showed that basically a third of patients became seizure-free. Another third had a significant reduction, meaning 50% of their episodes disappeared. And then the other third seemed to not have an effect. And they're not really sure. It's not, not clear if that was because failure to follow the diet or some other effect. So he starts kind of trying these diets on a few patients that are open to it, as I mentioned earlier. This one example that he mentions is extremely interesting. So Dr. Palmer has this patient who had been on as many as 17 different medications to try and manage some of these symptoms of schizophrenia. He, he's got severe schizophrenia. He's got mood disorders, extreme paranoia in public. Uh, he thinks that this family has uh, this high-tech solution where they can monitor his thoughts and portray them to others in the world and, and all these wild things. He's not sure why they're coming after him. He thinks that it might have been because of this one bad thing he did when he was 11 years old and forevermore he's tortured by it and just some really kind of out there thinking. Well, some of the medications he had been on caused him to gain a lot of weight and he he was aware of his many problems, but thought, you know, if, if I'm, if I'm this overweight and in such bad shape, I'll never get a girlfriend. And, and that was enough motivation to, for him to want to lose weight. And so they decided to work on that together. And Dr. Palmer, having some experience with this diet and having some positive effects with other people, he suggested this diet and they agreed and, and went for it. So he starts losing weight, but the wild thing is that he didn't just start losing weight. Over a pretty short time frame, he started recognizing that the schizophrenia and all of these beliefs he was having actually were false, as people had told him. And he starts kind of verbalizing this. And then uh, the paranoia starts to go away. And eventually he got to a point where he was able to move out of his dad's house and go into public without paranoia and things like that. Uh, so the diet had an extremely positive effect for someone that was in a horrific state and had been through everything. Uh, so this sends Dr. Palmer down this road of, of the research. So some of the things from the research, including, you know, years past, but also what they're working on now, I want to, want to share with you some interesting insights. So some of the uh, influences and factors of being on a fast or ketogenic state is that this influences your neurotransmitter levels, your calcium, your gene expression, changes your gut microbiome, it improves insulin resistance, and improves your glucose levels. So, uh, you know, you, hearing those factors alone, you go, wow, if, if those are out of whack, uh, you're going to have some problems. But he says that the real magic is that this diet stimulates two processes 
related to mitochondria. And this is the work that he's actually working on with, with his colleagues. He says, number one, it stimulates mitophagia, which is the process of getting rid of old defective mitochondria and replacing them with new ones. And then number two, mitochondrial biogenesis. After people have done the ketogenic diet for months or years, their bodies and brains will have more mitochondria and those mitochondria are healthier. And that is the reason Dr. Palmer believes the ketogenic diet is such an effective treatment, not only for epilepsy, but also for people with chronic mental disorders. So some of the research on mitochondria is is well known. Everyone knows essentially that mitochondria create ATP. They, they provide energy to the cells, right? And that things like extended cardiovascular workouts can increase your mitochondria. We're starting to discover a lot of interesting things about mitochondria, and some of it seems very complex. So Dr. Palmer says, we know a lot about mitochondria, but it appears there is much we don't know about mitochondria or exactly how it is doing what it does. He compares the mitochondria to the cell, much like a motherboard of a computer. So mitochondria appear to be directing and allocating resources throughout a cell. He says mitochondria play a direct role in the production, release, and regulation of some key neurotransmitters, including serotonin, dopamine, glutamate, acetylcholine. Huberman commented he would consider those the primary colors of neurotransmitters and irregular levels of any one of those would have profound negative effects on the nervous system. Mitochondria are also responsible for about 60% of the expression of genes in the cells playing a key factor in epigenetics. I had no idea about that. Mitochondria play a role in all aspects of the human stress response. So if you think of the stress response, you're talking about inflammation and cortisol and those kinds of things, right? Anytime you're in a stressed state, whether it's mentally or physically, if you have an injury, your body has a stress response. And mitochondria play a a significant role in that, in turning on and off the stress response. And he he mentions one, one study where they manipulated the, the mitochondria to try and identify these factors. And, and if, if a certain enzyme was missing, the mitochondria could not uh, turn off the stress response. So they're starting to speculate that some of these factors are playing a key role in people's mental health. He says, mitochondria have the enzymes required for the synthesis of steroid hormones cortisol, testosterone, estrogen, and progesterone. So if mitochondria are in short supply, the production of those hormones may be dysregulated. The conversation moves on to other things such as Alzheimer's and aging populations. Dr. Palmer mentioned some literature that they discussed around Alzheimer's disease showing improved cognitive function on a ketogenic diet or even simply decreasing carbohydrate consumption at breakfast and lunch while still eating the same diet. So these test subjects had been diagnosed with some form of dementia or Alzheimer's. And in brain scans, you can see cells that are damaged and uh, parts of the brain that are sort of degenerating. And when they put these people on these diets, their cognitive function improved. Ketones are essentially known as brain energy, (laughs) but it's not the only energy the brain uses. It seems to be one of the primary ones and possibly the most 
easily used by many parts of the brain. So he describes these cells that are degenerating as sort of like operating on 50 or 60% of the energy that they would ideally have. And so they can't actually repair themselves because they're, they're sort of depleted of resources. So when somebody changes to this diet or even drinks ketones, uh, the brain suddenly has a bunch of immediately usable energy and those parts of the brain are sort of firing on all cylinders, if you will, and can start to work on repair or uh, even just function normally for at the level that they're now at. So that was interesting. But one one thing he does say is that it doesn't appear that ketones are actually the key to this whole process. Ketones are just one story within a very complex matrix in that the secret to this diet actually improving mental health probably is associated with other things like the increased production of mitochondria in that state. So mitochondria create the ketones and primarily in the in the liver. And so if you start fasting or are on a ketogenic diet, the number of mitochondria in your liver skyrockets and they multiply rapidly and sort of go to work because it's it's a signal that you're in starvation mode. You need to find calories, but for the time being, you need to feed your brain so that you can continue to function and find calories and let's let's give the brain the energy it needs. And so it starts to this catalyst of all these things that we mentioned before, changing uh, trans neurotransmitters and hormones and gut biome and all this stuff. So these are uh, these are some of the mechanisms that they're discovering and working on. They don't totally understand how the mitochondria are controlling all these different things, but it seems like it's a very intelligent part of cell growth and function is the mitochondria turning on and off systems, communicating, directing resources, and telling the telling the brain certain messages about the body. And so um, potentially keeping your mitochondria healthy and well through certain methods could be a key to unlocking some of the uh, problems we've we've struggled with as far as mental health. So hopefully this episode provided you with a few insights on what you can do to optimize your your home hormones, maybe reasons you want to have a, a more balanced diet or if you're someone that's struggled with mental health, maybe there's maybe there's some help there. Obviously, I'm not a doctor. The episode they produced was not suggesting you go do this on your own, but that perhaps in the future we'll understand better how nutrition can actually affect brain function as it pertains to mental health and mood. So anyway, hopefully you guys found this information both useful and entertaining. Uh, If you did, please leave a positive review and a rating. Help us reach a broader audience and share this with your circles. Appreciate you guys showing up and we'll catch you on the next one. Hey, thanks for listening to the entire episode. As a token of gratitude, I want to give you a discount on my book, Ingrained. Head over to bronsonwilkes.com store 
and download Ingrained for less than a dollar with the coupon code GOALS, G-O-A-L-S.